I discovered something about hockey a few years ago. How many of you are hockey fans? I loved playing hockey. And the thing about hockey for me was, whether it was practice or game or whatever, man, I just couldn't wait to strap my skates on and play. So when I heard that NHL players who are, played, who are paid colossal amounts of money needed to be motivated to give their all in a game, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, I thought, no, seriously? And uh, it took a while for that to really settle in on me, that, and that the coach and the, the captain of the team or whoever it is that was responsible for motivating the players needed to always be poking the players or provoking them in some way to get their best out of them. And uh, I, I still don't fully understand that. But you know what? The same is true in many ways. You know, when you go to work in the morning, the foreman's job is to get you, get you going, get you inclined uh, and away from the rest, every other thought to begin to work, to say, hey, now it's 8 o'clock or it's 9 o'clock, you've punched the clock, you're, you're on my time now. It's time to, you know, strap on your belt and do your work. Well, it's kind of the same with church. Now, this is a volunteer army, but the stakes are even higher than the NHL hockey players vying for the Stanley Cup. The stakes are even higher when, than a paycheck that you may or may not get or you know, can increase by doing more work or, or working harder or doing a better job. In this case, eternal destinies lie in the balance. In this case, the increase of the kingdom of God on earth rests upon us as a people. And you might think, well, whoa, 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 that's a bit of a heavy. Yeah, well, it doesn't rest, rest just on you, but the collective of people all around the world that is the body of Christ that is the church right now, that we are the means through which God is increasing the kingdom of God. Not only that, not only that, but our ascension into His presence this morning may determine the pace at which God changes us, the pace at which God transforms us into His likeness and gives us the freedom we so des desperately desire, we so desperately long for, so I want to encourage you today, right now, don't waste a second. Don't waste a second thinking about the meal this afternoon or what you're going to do tomorrow or what happened on the way to church or who parked in your spot or who's sitting in your seat or, or who didn't say hi to you. This is about glorifying the Lord this morning. This is about drawing near to God and saying, Lord, we believe that you are consummate life. Think about that. God, we believe that you are consummate life. Lord, that you open your hand and you can satisfy the need of every living thing. And we have the unbridled opportunity to come near to you boldly and to receive from that overwhelming life. We can receive, Lord, from the, from the, uh, the greatest measure of, of good that the creation can possibly know. Your presence. So, Lord, we want to say, we enter in today. We draw near to you. We say, Lord, breathe on the earth this morning. Breathe on this place. Release your presence, oh God. Release your presence of God. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Jesus, 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 praise the name of Jesus. So we use our mouths this morning to direct our souls, to direct our minds, to direct our passions, to say, Jesus, we will praise your name the name of Jesus. Let's praise him with all of our hearts today. Just, I wonder if we could pause here for a second. I think we don't really understand the name of Jesus. You know, in the olden days under monarchies and things like that, and they, they seem to understood names and titles far more than we understand them today. And their understanding of names and the importance of names and titles 
came from a revelation that the kingdom of heaven, uh, that its authority structures was connected to names and titles. And so it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That a part of exaltation is a name that you are given. And the nature of spiritual realities is that spiritual beings respond to the authority that's inherent in names. And so when we are using the name of Jesus, we're not, it's not just some handle that he was, we're familiar with. It is, it is an authoritative structure. It represents a measure of the kingdom of heaven that is of the highest sort. And so I want us to, I want us to yield right now to the Holy Spirit. And we ask right now, Holy Spirit, would you show us the power that is in the name of Jesus? Lord, would you show us the power that is in the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua? That, Lord, whether that name is translated into this language or this language or this language, the spiritual reality of what that represents is constant throughout every language, through every tongue. Through every script, both spoken and written, the name of Jesus and what that represents in heaven and on earth is unshakable, unmovable. And we say, Jesus, let the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, be exalted here. So it continues. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Lord, speak your name. We speak your name. We speak your name to principalities and powers. We speak your name to strongholds. We speak your name to the knowledge that seeks to rise up against the knowledge of Christ. We speak the name of Jesus here in this place. You know, I believe that the Lord has something planned for us today. We're going to stop a little bit early because at the end... I believe we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to worship again. And we're going to pray in and anoint uh, the body, particularly in family units with oil this morning for the purpose of a breakthrough that we're going to talk about this morning. And so I believe that today, today is a day of breakthrough. Today is a day. And I'm believing for... Because I believe the Holy Spirit has prepared us and brought us to this time to shift things in us to do with generational darkness, generational sin, generational curses. And I believe that God is going to set the captives free today. I remember years ago, Billy Funk wrote a song. It was for freedom that Christ has made us free, has set us free. And so he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we're looking for a a freedom that is freedom indeed. Amen? Not just a name, not in theory, but in actuality. That's what we're called to. So, Father, thank you, Lord, that you have begun a good thing in us. And, Lord, when you put in us a seed of your DNA, a seed of the image of the Son of God, of God himself, you determined that we would be conformed to your image, into your likeness. And Lord, we're not here presenting ourselves because we're good or we're trying to be good. We are here because we believe in the power of the seed of transformation that you put inside of us when we became born again. And so, Lord, let that seed, that DNA of the King of kings and Lord of lords come forth, burst forth with great power today. Can you say amen? Amen. Father, thank you for what you're doing today. 
Thank you, Lord, that you, what you began in us, you will complete. Father, we, we, we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that the full resource of what is provided in Christ would burst forth in our life. Oh, I think of that passage that says that all things necessary for life and godliness are provided through the knowledge of him. Amen. So I'm going to talk this morning, and in a second I'm going to invite Myrna forward to share a testimony, but um, I'm going to talk on something. I've, I've got a fancy name for it. At least I, I think it's a fancy name. It's kind of cool. Breaking the Skeleton Key. And uh, the Skeleton Key was a movie I watched years ago, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It's not a horror, but it's a thriller. It's a little sort of kind of a deeply disturbing movie because it involves some supernatural, and it involves this idea that people can uh, transfer their, their souls from one generation of people to another people and essentially take over their body and take over their life. And so you have people trying to live continuously generation after generation by taking over somebody else's body. And so what was interesting about the movie, besides the fact that it was disturbing, but is, was the grooming process that was necessary for that transfer to take place. And why it's important for us to understand is because uh, the nature of spiritual strongholds in our lives and in the earth, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Our problem is not people. Our problem is principalities and powers. We are wrestling against principalities and powers and demonic spirits that are seeking to have an expression of, uh, of their nature through us in the earth. And so what we deal with in family lines is generational expressions of demonic strongholds. And part of what God has determined to set us free from is that cyclical sin and iniquity that seems to pass down in family lines from generation to generation. So we're going to try and touch on some of that uh, today. But we, we are, God is giving us a discernment. You know, Paul said this. He said, he said we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. Now that's Paul talking, right? He was not ignorant. But I find a lot of us don't really understand how the enemy operates. And that's why he can operate so, so freely because uh, we haven't really discerned uh, the, his method of operation. So this last Wednesday, we were, we were here, as we often do on Wednesdays, we're, we're praying. And um, as we're praying... I suddenly came to mind this cycle that I'd seen. And it was a cycle uh, that sort of, you know, I'm 56 years old, be 57 soon. And one of the things I realized that's nice about getting older is, is you have more of a grid to look at. There are certain patterns that are evident to you that will not unfold over a three-month period or a six-month period or a two-year period that unfold over, let's say, a decade or a couple of decades in people's lives. So when you get to be my age and older, you start to notice that there are patterns within spiritual cycles that are, are huge. They're, they're life cycles, generational cycles. I mean, if you read the scripture, we can see this over the course of, of generations. But but in the, in the practice of life, I started seeing cycles. And, uh, and so suddenly one of these cycles sort of came to my mind on, on Wednesday night as we were praying. And this is the cycle. I noticed over the last number of years that there have been these key moments where people I knew that loved God, that were serving God, that were doing well, relatively well, at least on the surface in their spiritual life, suddenly came to a moment where things shifted and not for the good. Things shifted in our life for very bad. And I started to notice that there was an occurrence that accompanied that shift. And it was, it was the death of a, a, a grandparent or a parent. And as I began to think about it, the Lord began to whisper in my ear as he does. You know, you know we're, we're so sort of dull about these things, right? It's like we're kind of going along and the Holy Spirit says, you know, that's not an accident. You know, we just don't even know. I said, that's not an accident. Oh, oh. You know, and so over a period of months and stuff, I began to meditate. And I said, well, what, what, what is it then? 
And the Lord began to show me that there is this cyclical thing where demonic spirits look for a resting place and the, most, the best resting place for them is in familiar places or places where they have created uh, familiar ground. So they're always longing. And we're going to look at some of the scripture for this. But I began to see that, that there's a process. And we know this in the natural. We know that when two people come together and get married, you know, that's a great opportunity to realize that your family is not normal. <laughs> right? You know, because you grow up with this family and the way you, you grew up and the things your parents said, the values, the, the patterns that, that were in your life. And you just thought, this is the way we do things. This is the way families work. And you get married and your spouse says, yeah, no, that's bizarre. <laughs> right? That's weird. And, and you want to watch for those kinds of things because marriage is a great time when you can start to question some of the things that were, seemed to be normative. I remember years ago, we were watching a movie, it was called Only the Lonely with uh, John Candy. And he was this uh, single, uh, I think it was a fire a policeman, and he's living with his mom, and he's in his mid-30s or early 40s, and, and she's, she is a control freak. I mean, she is, that's her little boy, and she don't want him marrying anybody or anything. And, and so she, she torments him to stay near by by making yourself a victim and so you know he he is this guilt-ridden fear-laden person who's beholden to his mother late in life and he can't even have a relationship so he meets this girl who's a little peculiar herself but anyway he meets this girl and you know he's got a date and and his mom finds out that he's got this date she said but that's my bingo night and uh anyway so well, okay, I guess if you don't mind me walking alone in the dark streets at night by myself. And, and so he's out on this date, and in his mind over and over is playing this scene as his mom walking down this dark alley, and I hope you're having fun, son. And, uh, and she falls into a pit. She's down there with a broken leg and bleeding. And she said, I, I hope you had a good time. Anyway, he, he's, and I'm laughing at that. Oh, that is so, that is so crazy. And, and when he says, you know, a couple of days later, she said, you remember the other day when you were saying you were laughing? He said, that's so crazy about, you know, somebody replaying those tormenting things in their mind. Did you really think that? Yeah. I said, oh, yeah. He said, oh, okay, because that happens to me all the time. And, and so it was a great moment where something that was with you your whole life suddenly comes under a light of, this is not normal. Okay, well, here's what happens. Generational spirits build a stronghold by communicating to you that something's normal that isn't normal so that you never question it, you never accept it. You accept it as part of your DNA, and, it, and it's just there. And what happens is there's a spirit attached to all kinds of knowledge. You know, there's a reason why it says the weapons, um, let me see, the weapons of warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and everything that rises up against the knowledge of God. You want us, what we need to understand that spiritually, spiritual forces, be, there, be they for the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness, are empowered or line up behind knowledge. Right. And there's a knowledge that is equal to the knowledge of God, and there's a knowledge that is not the knowledge of God, which is everything that God is not. And the principalities and powers are empowered in the lives of those people who accept the knowledge that is not the knowledge of God. Right. And so the first step, for, of spiritual grooming is to get you to accept certain kinds of premises that are unbiblical, ungodly, but, but that are familiar to your family line. So your whole life, there's a spirit whispering into your ear, this is the way you need to think. This is the way, what's true, this is what you are, da-da-da-da-da-da. Why? Because it's preparing to go from one generation to another. So I had seen this event where, where people I'd known who seemed to be doing okay, suddenly... As soon as a parent or, uh, or a grandparent died, some shift took place. And so all of a sudden, things that were sort of minor in their lives, these ba- small tendencies that were really not visible to the naked eye in terms of behavior, suddenly burst forward into a full-blown kind of new expression in our life of sin and bondage. And I thought, that's bizarre. 
Now, you know, initially, as a psychologist, you might think, well, you know, it's because of the emotional trauma of this and da 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 And granted, there are those things. Emotional trauma is always connected to spiritual strongholds, but it is not the only thing that's happening. There's a transference of things that goes beyond the emotional realm that actually solidifies a kind of bondage. And so Wednesday night, as we were praying, I saw that people in our body were going through a warfare today that they did not feel a couple of years ago, maybe even not a couple of months ago, but something uh, has doubled down on you, and it is part of this this need for uh, spiritual powers to to have uh, uh, a resting place, that when this vessel, this resting place that they have, that brings some expression to their nature. Now, again, demonic interference in our lives comes in all kinds of ways. And when we look in the Bible, if you have a peripheral idea of demonic possession and influence, you think, well, the demonic of Gennesaret, you know, you're only demonized if, if you're running around naked, you know, cutting yourself and, and breaking chains in the, in the cemetery. You know, that, that's really, no, that's the extreme version. Incremental control is, is, a, is the game. An incremental control starts with interference in a sliver of your life. You ever notice that sometimes you can be free, 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 but in this area, you're overwhelmed by a kind of thinking that you know is wrong. You do things, but afterwards, you think, ah, oh, it's so bad, I'm praying, I'm hoping this will go away, but it doesn't. And, he, and you could see freedom in so many parts of your life, but in this part, it's like, man, I, am, I, I just roll over, you know, when it comes to this stuff. So that is an indication of some kind of external control, okay? Generational spirits seeking to create a place and to have influence in your life. So anyway, I'm going to back over some of this. I'm just sort of reviewing it. I'm going to give you some scriptures as well in a minute. But Wednesday night, I felt to make a declaration and, that, and to expose the works of the enemy, that this is happening, and, uh, and truth being... I saw a couple of people specifically that this was happening to, and uh, yet somebody said to me right after, that was totally for me, and I hadn't even thought of this person. But they, 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 they thanked me for that, and uh, Myrna, why don't you come forward as Myrna, if that's a secret, could use this mic, and I want her to share her testimony of what happened starting Wednesday night and then the next morning. Hi. So oh, and the... And, perhaps some of the history of what you've been struggling with. Okay. So I've struggled with anxiety and fear my entire life. And in the last about four years, it has become quite irrational. Things that people say, oh, it's going to be okay. It's like, no, I I can't even get past that. So when Pastor Mark said about this coming down the line, it was like, whoa, that's me. And realizing my dad had passed away four years ago. Now I realize that's probably about when it hit. And anyway, so I took it to heart and went home thinking, oh, cool. There is actually something beating at my door. It's not just me going nuts. So then uh, the next morning I woke up with a total anxiety attack. I was shaking and, and feeling sick and, uh, and had been struggling with this fear before. I had seen Kim and Lynn. They gave me scriptures, prayed with me. She was telling me to speak the facts to things, but it just wasn't working. So that morning when I'm shaking, wandering around, I started marching, speaking the, the scriptures and stuff. And then I remember what Pastor Mark said and started saying, get off of me. You get out of my DNA, get out of my blood, get out of my head. And I threw up. And then I marched some more and it said, Gain, get off of me. Because I could still feel the oppression. Get off of me. And I threw up again. And then I kept marching and marching and marching and speaking and praying and speaking in tongues. And I threw up for the third time. And then I could feel that actual huge weight lift off. And I stayed mostly peaceful for the rest of the day because I've walked in that anxiety for so long. I mean, it's going to continue to bombard if it can have a place. So my fear was the next day, oh, no, am I going to wake up and have a panic attack again? And sure enough, 5 o'clock, I can feel it come up my legs and arms and down and, and get out of bed. And I start marching around. And I started praying and doing the same thing. And some of it lifted. And then I went down to see Yoshi, and he says, well, what's the truth? Speak the facts to it. He says, it's a, tell it it's a lie. You puked it out yesterday. And as soon as he said it, it was like, you're right. And it was gone. Wow. So I have still been suffering somewhat with anxiety, but now I have to change my thought pattern and my mind. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Marta. Bless you. So quickly speaking, the journey forward is at least two-pronged, maybe, maybe more than that, but you know, the Bible says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, right? It, it, it's, it says, listen, there is a process 
for shifting the way your mind thinks that's, that's critical for bring, coming into alignment with God. And so that needs to happen because when you've had a lifetime of a certain kind of programming to be unprogrammed, you know, is not going to happen because you had one emotional experience because there are, there are literal physical ruts that have been crafted in your mind through, through you know, electrons moving, synapses, you know, firing in certain ways that create a cascading effect of, of emotions and all kinds of other things. So there is a, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the ruts in a road when you go down in the winter and you're in our, you know, our neighborhood that they don't, uh, they don't uh, clear the snow often enough, right? You, you get a little bit of freezing, thawing, and, and then freezing, and next thing you got these, these hard, fast ruts. You're almost afraid to go on the side, you know, because you have to go down in the ruts, and you have to follow them. So that's what the enemy's plan is, to create deep ruts in our lives, to create patterns of thought that we are unable to escape. And so, uh, but more than that, there are generational expressions of iniquity and sin that, that make it their aim to trap the next generation. Uh, so I, I, I just devise a, a couple of questions here. Uh, do you have a sin that seems to easily and repeatedly materialize in your life? Are you overwhelmed by a seemingly all-consuming emotion or inclination you are powerless to resist? Do you see emerging patterns of life common to your family lineage? Uh, do you see a, 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 a sin that comes into your life that you feel bad about but seem to be powerless to change the behavior even though you feel guilty and sorrowful after the fact? You might be dealing with a spiritual stronghold. Now, last year I did a video teaching on this and I would really encourage you to read it. Can you throw up that, uh, that, that, that photo? This is... Uh, uh, the evolution of a spiritual stronghold. The, the teaching in here is fundamental to understanding the strategy of the enemy uh, in terms of your life and then how to... If you understand God's, God's strategy, the enemy's strategy, then you can work against the enemy's strategy. And so I would encourage you to have a look at this video, watch it, share it with your friends, because God, I believe, is intent on setting us free you know, uh, the last thing you want, have you ever noticed this? You come to church, you see these good Christian families, people serving God, and then their kids never serve God. Uh, or their kids serve God, but only partially, and then the grandchildren never serve God. And you think, how can this redemptive power, you know, uh, how, can we, how can we change our family lineage so that, so that we can see uh, historical righteousness, like repeated righteousness, I mean, I look at some family lines. I didn't come from a Christian family line, but I see some family lines where it's year after year, generation after generation, just Christians coming out, you know? And, and there, are, there are Christian leaders today who talk about the power of righteous genealogy. That it does give you a step up. And, uh, and so God is intent, and I believe God is, is wanting us to be able to have this for our families and our children. But maybe we don't know how it really happens. Now, use the word grooming, and you may understand, I've heard that before in the area of, uh, of sexual predators on children, but the, the pattern of this and the definition of grooming is this. Grooming is the predatory act of maneuvering another individual in the position that makes them more isolated, dependent, likely to trust, and more vulnerable to abusive behavior. And so the, the spirits are actually grooming uh, others for, for uh, you know, to increase their, their stake, their hold in the earth. Now, I remember thinking about this a few years ago because I was sexually molested when I was five years old. And uh, at the time, it was not hugely traumatic for me, but people can have a hugely traumatic moment. And usually when we're dealing with this, if you're not dealing with this spiritually, what you're dealing with it is on an emotional and a cognitive level. And that is important, but it is not the worst of what actually happens. When a sexual assault takes place, or, or any kind of vile thing, right? I mean, any kind of sin, what, what is happening is that a wound is being made and a seed is being sown. You know, when you are going to plant carrots in the earth, you have to wound the earth. I'm just using that word, to, but you actually need to open the earth. You need to make a place for the seed to go in. 
And emotional trauma or circumstantial uh, things in our lives are moments when openings are made, but that's not, the, that's not the most important part that happened. The most important part, the most dangerous part, is that a seed was sown. Okay, and this is why uh, people who were manipulated or were assaulted become predators themselves, right? Because there's a spiritual DNA that was planted in your life. And you may go to counseling and you may get, be told it wasn't your fault and, and you know, all of these things you, may, you might be uh, appropriately uh, nurtured emotionally and so that that wounding seems to go away and not so bad. But have you dealt with the seed? Well, of course, a, a natural-minded person doesn't even know there is a seed. Okay, but that seed... See, this is the way spiritual realities work. Uh, God has decided that in order for you to get born again, he, he, you need a seed, right? In order for you to get the nature of God in you because you're a fallen being and you're made from the dust of the earth, the, the way of transformation, the pattern of kingdom transformation is that uh, an opening is made and a seed comes in, right? Repentance and conviction creates the opening. You receive the seed and the, the word of God comes in and produces a harvest of that thing. The enemy works by the same pattern. Exactly the same pattern. Why? Because he doesn't know anything, right? All he does is what he saw do, being done. So there, there is this uh, process where, whereby spiritual defilement creates a moment for the reproduction of a, of a nature that is demonic and ugly. And that's why, for example, in your life, you can grow up and maybe look at your father or your mother and you think this, there's this distasteful pattern in our lives I've decided I'm not going to be like that. And then uh, 50 years later, you look at your life and you think, I am like that. And you're like, how did this happen? I did not want this. Well, because <laughs> your willpower uh, does not circumvent by itself uh, spiritual, uh, the spiritual principles of DNA. You know, even if your grass doesn't want the weeds, right? You know, if, you're, if your grass could have a willpower, an expression. Anyway... So I want to say something about spirits is that they're always seeking a home. Spirits seek a home. Now let me say a couple of things about this because I don't want you to be fearful. And, and let me say this also, that, that not only is this always been happening, but it will continue to happen. But if you have uh, been fighting it up to now, you've, you've been fighting it your whole life. And so you don't have to wonder, oh, suddenly this thing is happening to me. No, it's been going on all the time. So, in fact, there was a word given the other night when we were praying for, for Myrna the other morning uh, that Murray gave, and he said, you've been prepared for this your whole life. Like, all of your training in the Word of God, all of, your, all of the things that the Holy Spirit has been doing so far is equipping you to overcome that thing. And so we don't have to meet any of this with fear or paranoia because this battle has already been going on. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit has been working in your life to mitigate against those things. Okay, that's why we do things like forgiving our fathers and our mothers when they're not what we think they should be. Why? Because holding unforgiveness is keeping a portal open for that spirit, you know, because unrighteous judgment says, oh, is pride. And it says, it says, oh, you think you're, you, you can avoid this? You, that unforgiveness, that resentment, that hatred, that anger is the vehicle through which I'm going to come now. And so, and so you don't have to worry that uh, suddenly something is there that, you, well, you may not have known about it, but you've actually been being prepared by the Holy Spirit for this until this moment. But the other thing we don't have to worry about is demons can't just jump into you, okay? Oh, no, I touched the doorknob where a demon, demonized person touched the doorknob. I'm, you know, it's not like germs. <laughs> and even germs, you know, you don't have to worry about that, but that's another issue. <laughs> it's a big issue for some people. Oh, yeah. Demons can just... You know, there was a movie a number of years ago with Denzel Washington called Time is on My Side. Again, it's not another one you want to watch. But, <laughs> but, but it was this idea that there was a murderous spirit and that it was causing people to murder and it was jumping from person to person willy-nilly and that all that was required was some physical contact or proximity. And, and I want to set the record straight. That cannot happen, okay? You, you are not that vulnerable, all right? In, in the same way, and again, we see these, 
these representations in the natural that represent spiritual things. It's like your skin, your epidermis is a shield against, against uh, viruses and, uh, and uh, germs. And, and so when you get a break in the skin, that can make you vulnerable, but, but that in itself doesn't even you know, guarantee that you can be affected. So demons cannot just decide that they're going to occupy you. What they need is an invitation. All right, demons need an invitation. In fact, if you look at the, the teaching I did on the evolution of a spiritual stronghold, spiritual strongholds are, are actually real structures, okay? Spiritual stronghold is not just a spirit. It is a spirit that has access to a life because of, of a series of behaviors and choices that that life has made. Hello? Yeah. All right? So... Uh, so that's why the grooming process for, you know, that spirits are trying to do in family lines starts from a very early age because you need to gain access. You need to gain, you know, you need people to roll over for you. And so what happens, and I shared, I think, this last week about smoking. You know, when I, when I first started smoking, you know, and I thought it was stupid to be addicted. You can't be addicted. I mean, I've smoked for a bunch of times. And, you know, and then, and then suddenly one day I felt the... The stronghold. I mean, I literally felt it physically in my body where, where my very pores, every cell of my being was desiring to have a cigarette. I thought, uh-oh. Now, now no longer, see, I had chosen to smoke, chosen to smoke. It's like a brick, every brick that's put in a wall. But literally, that's what happens, is, is every time you choose to yield to sin, or jealousy, or anger, or rage, or something like that, you're actually creating a house. You're creating a structure. You're creating a habitation uh, for a spirit. And so what needs to happen, what the enemy is doing, is he's looking to control our lives in increasing measures, so he's always looking to establish some, some form of agreement. So a part of your discipleship is learning to say no. Right? Learning to say no to certain behavior and certain patterns. But it's very hard when you've had, already had a lifetime of saying yes to it. Which is why we need each other. Okay? Because we need each other because where you are weak, I am strong. And where I am weak, you are strong. And furthermore, I may not even discern or even know that there's an illegitimate pattern in my life unless we walk together. And this, again, like, like family is like, spiritual family is like the beauty of a marriage where you come in and you realize that the way you thought may not be normative. It, it, it may not be scriptural. It may not be godly. Maybe something you should do everything you can to extricate yourself from. And so, uh, and so God has given us the spiritual family. And, and we were talking about this the other morning. And I was inviting uh, the dialogue that should come. I mean, the beautiful thing about the spiritual family, if you love each other, is, is there's, we're looking at each other when we see, you know, when I see godly people and there's godliness coming out of their life, but then in this one moment, there's a, you know, it's like, okay, I would like to help you with that moment. I, and if you, if, you, if you are reasonable at all, you would want to be helped, Right? Well, what if we didn't condemn each other over those moments? What if we weren't disqualified as a Christian because we have those moments? Because ask the husbands and wives of everybody here and ask the children and ask, we have them. And so we're not, we're not here to pretend we got it all together. We're here to say, let these things in our lives be exposed and diminished because we want to be free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I believe, and this is prophetic, I believe the Holy Spirit has brought us to this point because he's felt a desire on a new level for us to embrace a kind of transformative discipleship uh, in our lives to allow us and the next generation and the generation after to be free in a way that we could never conceive of. Wouldn't that be amazing? But it takes a village, it takes a body, it takes a family to be able to look at one another, you know, and to say, hey, you know, there is this fear in your life. There is this control in your life. There is this emotional, I don't know what it is, but, you know, what you said right there, just, it, you know, what was behind that? Like, if you really could trust one another, what if I could say to you, you know, what was, what was the anatomy of that thought or that action before you did that? Like, because that's how we discern what's born of God and what's not born of God is through a thorough, honest evaluation 
of what was behind that. And I was sharing with some guys the other day that, that one of the things I did a few years ago, because I've been trying to deal with things in my life, as you are, for a long time. And one of the things, I occasionally get irritated. And in my family, I, I felt like I had the right to, you know, speak out of that irritation whenever it's possible, but it's, it's damaging. And I remember the time when I thought, you know, as a spiritual leader here, even though I have the authority to speak to any of the staff, any of the pastoral staff or the administrative staff, you know, to correct them, I realized that if I was not functioning in, in, a, in a calm, loving way, if I was speaking out of irritation, that that could, would be damaging. And so I decided the way that I'm going to erode this for my life is even when I think I have the right to speak it because of my position, I'm not going to do it until that, that defilement is off of me. Uh, and, and so there are these ways that we permit ourselves to enter into defiling speech and activity because we, we, we politically or in terms of authority or sphere or uh, we have the right or being right. We think being right is the only right we need to foment and pour out indignation, right? But you know what? The Bible says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Hey, the wrath of man, but I'm right, I don't care. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So part of this work in our life is to discern what is coming out of me, where is it coming from, is Jesus the author of this, or is he not? You know, James give us, gives us a great criteria. He says, the, the wisdom that's from above is peaceable, easily entreated, willing to yield, gentle, without hypocrisy. So I'm always looking for, in my life, are those the characteristics that are compelling me to speak right now or not? Now, again, I'm not doing it perfect. Uh, ask my wife. And, and neither are you, but that's, that's all right because we are all in a process, yeah. in a journey. Fair enough? Yeah. All right, so we were talking about how, how we are not immediately vulnerable to spirits just because they're around. Okay, in fact, you know, we can, we can walk through the lion's den and be completely free. It is, the question is, right, the question is, does this thing have a place in me? Remember what Jesus said about that? He said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Uh, that's, that's so important. We need to understand that our spiritual authority as a believer and our immunity from the enemy is based on what level of agreements that we have with the enemy and with God. And so this is, the, this is what's happening. Do I think like God or do I think like the enemy? And if you think like the enemy, when he whispers, that person really doesn't like you. That person is, is conspiring to hurt you. You should, you should do a preemptive strike. <laughs> right? When, you, when that wisdom has been programmed into you, Right? With that kind of thinking, like, and it is a kind of wisdom. Wisdom is a way of thinking in this, when, the way James is used. This wisdom is devilish. He says this wisdom is, is from above. There's two types of thinking, wisdom. But when you have been programmed in demonic thinking, then when that spirit comes along whispering you, hey, it's like, hello, friend. Hello, familiar spirit. Hello, voice of comfort. And uh, yeah. You remember the movie uh, Lord of the Rings and Gollum, right? I don't do a very good Gollum, but it's a, yeah. That, that, that fat hobbit hates us. He hates us, and they're trying to kill us. You know, remember when he's speaking to himself, but it's not him, it's another voice? I mean, that is actually a representation of demonic spirits that come over a period and become your closest companion, and you learn to trust them and yield to them, but they are not your friend. They are not your friends. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and world rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen? Amen. So, now, I was thinking about this here today, or the other day, and I thought, you know, let me read this scripture, Matthew 12, verse 43 to 45. This is one of the clearest representations of unclean spirits and demonic spirits in how they operate. But Jesus says this. He said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. 
Then he goes and takes with him seven more spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is, is worse than the first state. So it shall be with this wicked generation. Uh, that is, there is so much packed into this scripture. It's absolutely amazing. First of all, he's saying, listen, this level of demonic entrenchment can actually take place in a culture. Yeah. In a culture, in a nation, in a group of people, collectively. That, that a whole generation, when you reject the light, and when, you, when something that has been cast out of you uh, is invited to return back, it doesn't come along. Okay, and so that, that's a great warning for righteous uh, societies and cultures that invited Christ into it. Because when spirits come back to occupy, they come back way worse. So, but one of the interesting things, there's two, two more interesting things here. He says, though he, he goes through dry places. Now that, I guess there's more than two interesting things. Dry places is very interesting. I don't know what the percentage is, but do you know that you are largely made up of water? What's the percentage? Who's their scientist here? Anybody? You've got a lot of water in you, okay? 70%, approximately 70% water. Spirits don't like dry places. They like watery places, watery graves. That's why, actually, principalities and powers, uh, often in manifestation and folklore and culture, have their habitations in deep places of water. When you've got uh, regional demonic spirits, uh, you know, there are certain rivers in, in Egypt and Africa and things where, where they're, they're like wellsprings of demonic activity out of places where there are water. There's this actually, I don't understand it all, but there's this connection between water and demonic activity. Well, the enemy is, disin, demons are disembodied spirits in the sense that they have no body through which to carry out and express their will. So they're looking for a body with which to do that. Okay, in the same way, the Holy Spirit is looking for a body to carry out and express his will. Demonic spirits are looking for a body to carry out their will. And so you are uniquely constructed to be a, a suitable vessel for the spirit, one or the other. All right? So the spirit wanders in dry places. That means without water, without a, a body of water to habitate. And so he comes back hoping that there'll be access given. Now, what did I say before? I said they just can't come in. They have to be invited in. Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture out there, but there's a scripture in the New Testament that says that the man of God, uh, that, about the word of God, and it says that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. Thoroughly furnished. I love that word furnished because, you know, you have a furnished apartment and an unfurnished apartment. A furnished apartment has furniture. So when a man of God who is suitably furnished He's, he's equipped with the things that are suitable for house. So that when that spirit comes back, it's not swept and empty. It's furnished. In other words, there are things in place uh, where that spirit would like to occupy, but it can't because it's furnished. It's not, just, it's not clean and empty. Make sense? So, um, so the, again, there are things that God is building into our lives. And maybe one of the reasons why God doesn't give us full deliverance when he could give us full deliverance is because we're not ready to furnish. We're not ready to actually replace. Like if you, until you actually start to despise the way you think that is ungodly, you're going to keep going back to it. Like a dog that returns to vomit. Uh, you know, so, so there's this process of repentance in your life where the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, this way that you think, how's that working for you? Right? You know, Dr. Phil, right? How's that working for you? Is this, what kind of fruit is this producing in your life? Do you hate it enough yet? I remember a part of the key of when I got delivered of smoking was when I started to really hate smoking, the heartburn and the bad breath and the, and the cost and you know, all of the things associated with it. When I started to hate it more than I liked it, then I started to actually get free. Yeah. And so God is saying, listen, there are patterns of ways that you think that you actually like. And I, I would, there are demonic spirits that are hinging and in influencing your life, but you like the way that thought goes, and that thought still, st- still, still sounds like wisdom to you. So I can't set you free, because if I set you free, you're going to invite that spirit right back. And if you invite that spirit right back, seven more, worse. So in the name of mercy, I will not completely free you right now. All right? Thank you, God. All right, now, 
this is a little break from, from this. There is a heavenly pattern in this as well. I, I was thinking about this, and I, I looked it up from Isaiah 66. This is powerful because this is so much a part of what I believe our DNA ought to be as Christians. Um, Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says this, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me, and where is the place of my rest? For these things my hand has made, and all those things, says the Lord, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Wow. You see, spirits, even the Spirit of God, is looking for a resting place. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We collectively are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about that for a second. What is revival? What is breakthrough? What is, you know, when... Can, I've read about these, these worship services where it's like angels coming in and, and manifestations of, of the fog of God's presence and all kinds of things where signs and wonders and miracles. What if, what if God could only inhabit to the degree that we agree with him? What if, what if his collective manifestation in our midst hinged upon us coming into a greater conformity uh, uh, to him and away from generational structures? What if revival was not a moment where God went against all of our desires and will, <laughs> against everything we were doing, and did the opposite? He does that on occasion out of mercy, but it's not really what he wants. What he wants is a people who willingly love what he, the way he thinks. Who, who Lord, I, I want you to confront my, all of my ways I want you to exchange for your ways. I want your ways. I want the way you think. And this is what is being offered to us, that God himself is saying, listen, I have dimensions of my presence that I would like to drop on Spruce Grove Community Church. And, and as, as, as the aggregate of who you are as a complete family increases in its alignment with me, I can dispense more of myself into your midst. Wow. And I'm thinking, okay, as an individual, I want that. I want the inheritance that is not iniquity of generational spirits. I want to see the skeleton key of generational curses, whether it's sickness, whether it's sin, whether it's uh, uh, apathy and control and pride, whatever it is, I want it broken off of my family line. Why? Because that's... I mean, not only is it going to taste good, but this is our destiny. This is why we were saved. This is why God uh, has brought us here. Now, one of the key thoughts here, and I'll just touch on this briefly, around the evolution of a stronghold, is that obedience, obedience is required for sustained freedom, and disobedience is a breach that allows demonic influence to grow in our lives. And when Jesus talked along this line, all the religious people of his day were shocked and appalled. And, uh, you know, say, we were not born in fornication. We're, 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 you know, Abraham's seed and, you know, whatever. And this is what Jesus said to them. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. Whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. And the master of sin dominates those who sin. That's why, you know, those who lie are come under the father of lies. That's why you have that scene in, in the Star Wars where the emperor, and this is a beautiful metaphor for this spiritual reality, the emperor is trying to pull Luke into the dark side. And I apologize if you haven't seen one of the greatest sci-fi trilogies <laughs> that ever has been made. Amen. But, but uh, anyway, and, and the emperor's there, and he's called Luke, and he's unafraid of Luke's skills and all the rest of that, because he says, he says I'm, I'm right now, I'm murdering your friends. And uh, this is a trap. Yeah, 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 we're, we knew you were coming. And so he says, he says, surrender to me. He said, I, surrender, I can, 
I can feel the anger welling up in you. Go ahead, grab your sword, kill me. He said, with each passing moment, you make yourself more my servant. Oh, I love that line. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I, I speak in tongues. I read the Bible, I read the Bible from time to time. <laughs> right? Doesn't matter. The master rules over the slave, and the, the one who commits sin is a servant of sin. So it just takes a simple acknowledgement, simple humility to say, God, I, I haven't been totally yours. I am not totally free. In areas of my, my mind just seems to be powerless to, to escape this cascade of coercive, uh, uh, you know, pushing in this direction. And I am sick and tired of it. We're crossing a threshold, I believe, where we're sick and tired. And, and that level of victory we knew before, it's just not enough. It's just not enough. We're saying, God, I, I want this. I, I want to be all in. I wanna, I wanna, I'm saying, God, let, leave no stone unturned in my life. I want to know the genesis of every thought. I want to know the father of every thought, every impulse that I have. I want to know whether I'm operating in the wisdom of God or the wisdom of this world, the wisdom that is dark and demonic and evil. So I want to not only be free myself, I want to be able to extend that freedom. And so God has given us the means, and I touched on some of these, but let me just quickly go over them again. It's that, uh, one, the renewing of the mind. You gotta be in the Word. You gotta be, you gotta be meditating on the Word. You know, Philippians 4.18, think on these things, yeah. right? He said, think on these things because, because the tendency, right? I'm always amazed how many fearful people like to go to horror movies. It's like, why, why do you do that? Why? why? Because, because it's part of a process being built in my life, right? I mean, this is why people are consumed with lust and masturbation and, and, and uh, fantasy go to watch pornography because there's a, there's a stronghold and there's a spirit. There's a generational spirit. Is trying to occupy your life and occupy more and more and increasingly more so that your children have no possible chance of ever getting free. This is what the strategy is. And we can, we can subdue it. We can erode it. We can, we can work against it. And so there's no shame. We're not, well, there's, no, there's no, oh, I'm a bad Christian. Get out of that right now. Okay. This stuff is in the lives of Christians. All right. And we are discerning it, and we are actively working against it. And we're at a place now, and I'm happy to say, where at least in this church, okay, and it's happening more and more as we're, the love of God is consuming us and we're being transformed, where we can actually walk with each other despite our dysfunctions. And instead of judging one another and isolating one another based on those dysfunctions, we're saying, let me help you. Yes. Well, we can help you with that. Yes. Okay, now... If you don't want help, that's another thing. Right? But, but there, are, there are fixes for these things. So be in the Word. Renew your mind. The Word of God, it's like, it's like food. It's not, something, it's not nice just to look at. It, when you ingest it, it creates strength through your digestive process. So when you meditate on his word, it imparts something to you. That's why David said, how shall a man not, uh, cleanse his way? A young man cleanse his way. David was a young man once, and he was interested in cleansing his way. I wonder what that was about, right? And he said, by heeding to your word, right? If I, if I could just spill myself and surround myself in your word, these things will start to erode. Maybe not overnight, but... If I have a steady diet of the right things, right? Steady diet of garlic, it'll start coming through your pores. <laughs> steady diet of life, it'll start coming through your pores. Hallelujah. The, the, the second thing is, is what, uh, what Myrna was talking about, warring with promises. You know, there's a scripture given in uh, Timothy where Paul is talking to Timothy. He said, Listen, Timothy, let me remind you, there was a time when we laid hands on you with a prophetic presbytery and certain prophetic words were given to you. He's not talking about scripture because they didn't have scripture, right? He's saying, listen, prophetic words were given to you from the prophets. He said, now 
take those words and war a good warfare with them. What are the promises that God has given you? Not only the promises in his words, and it's great that we have loads and loads of the intended purpose of God and the sufficiency of what he is. I mean, those are promises as well. But all of the promises that you have available to you are actually swords and weapons through which you can war. And so when you, when you, when you, when you feel the cascading thoughts of something... You know, and, it, and if it overwhelms you, then, okay, get some help, get some backing, and make a stand somewhere. Maybe you did retreat a, a lot, but find a place, make a stand, and resist. And if you start making a stand and resisting with these weapons, you'll start to make headway. And, you know, I'm 57 years old right now, and I remember I wanted the kind of freedom I'm experiencing now in my 20s. Uh, I didn't think it should take this long. And, you know, hopefully there'll be a measure of God in our midst in the next generation that it won't take this long. But it is what it is right now, and it has taken this long. But there is a measure of freedom that has come into my life in the last five years that is astounding. And I said five years ago what I had then was astounding. But this is astounding. I want to tell you, the brightest days are ahead. The most freedom you've, you've ever had is ahead of you. More than you can imagine is, is ahead of you. Amen? Amen. So, so war a battle. And then and be prepared for kickbacks. Just because you have a moment like Myrna had doesn't mean that spirit's given up. These spirits are relentless because they've already invested 50 years or 20 years or 30 years or, or maybe a few generations in your family line. Okay. But you know what? Sometimes they have to bite... They, 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 this is a pattern. They'll jump over a generation. Why? Because one generation says no. So watch out, not just for your kids, but for your grandkids. We're going to pray, and we're going to, we're, going to, we're going to have a time of ministry where we're going to anoint the family with, with oil. Anybody who wants to be anointed with oil. And we're not, we're not saying this is a fait accompli. We're not saying that this, it's done. You know? what, what we're saying is we're adding something to you. And what I did the other morning is I prayed for people and I laid my hands on their head and I said, holy unto the Lord. And this is the declaration I feel that God wants to speak over us, that, that your destiny, your future, uh, it, may, it, it, is, it's, it may not be completely solidified right now. The present is not your future, but you are still nevertheless holy to the Lord. That, that means you are set apart. That means God has determined good things for you. That means God has a way to see you completely set free from generational uh, inclinations. And maybe you're right now in the throes of a fresh assault where you, like, like Myrna, you know, four years ago when my dad died, suddenly this thing is coming all over me and I don't know how to resist it. You might not be at that place, but it may be that your grandparents are very close to dying and that spirit has doubled down on its efforts to, to demoralize you and your faith and to do this and this and this and the other thing. This is the time to make a stand. Amen? But come expecting, come expecting that whatever warfare you've been in, whatever warfare is on your family line, and you know what, even if it's not the family that's present here today, and if you can, walk through as family units, mom, dad, kids. So if you have kids, go get them and, and bring them through with you. But expect that there's going to be spiritual backup to the warfare that has been going on So, Lord, we say in the name of Jesus, Lord, we draw upon the power of your Holy Spirit today. We say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just wait, just wait for me. Wait for me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. So enhance and grow, Lord, our freedom today in Jesus' name. I'll get on this side. All right, go ahead. Holy to the Lord. 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 You can turn off my mic. Holy to the Lord. 
for those that are still here. Bless you. You know, as we close today, just believe. Believe. Believe in the power of God's intention and the power of His supply. And then stand in that belief. It's uh, those two things coupled together. But I believe that God is going to give us a whole new level of, of uh, generational righteousness. Amen. Bless you all. Love one another.